Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess. And I'm Amy. Each week, we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share our favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is specialization. But before we get into it, Amy, you just came here after a journey to a very magical place. Yes, I did. Where were you? I was at the library. I love libraries. Me too! I need to spend more time because I we have like three libraries in walking distance from my place. <laughs> and I pretty much only go to one of them and pretty much only when I need to print a thing. Huh. Because I have a very... I'm not going to say it's a bad habit, but it is currently with my uh, lifestyle, let's say, an irresponsible habit. If I want a new book, I just go and buy one. So I need to, I need to get on your library grind. Uh, and I'm sure because of the nature of role-playing games and tabletop being what it is, many of our listeners are probably also pretty solid readers. Hooray for that. So I'm going to ask, before we get into our topic of specialization and the many different forms that it takes in gaming, you're a bit of a, what I would call a specialist when it comes to the literary world. How, how would you share your expertise with our listeners? Uh, in terms of what exactly? If they, like, if I wanted to walk into a library, say I finally finished the copious amount of books that I'm reading in my free time, and I run out and I want something new. So I walk over to the library and I'm thinking, all right, let's find something. Where do I start? Well, uh, I would say the first thing you should do is know your genre. So basically, uh, know the genre of books that you have the highest success rate of enjoying what you've read. I like that. Highest success rate. That's, that's <laughs> an interesting way of thinking about books. Yeah, I mean, because not every book is a winner. And uh, books also are very personal and appeal to people differently. But you know yourself best. Uh, if, if you've read enough, you should know which genre appeals to you. You know, maybe for me, that's uh, YA and science fiction and fantasy, mostly fantasy. And mm -hmm. uh, for other people, it could be romance novels or nonfiction or straight up historical biographies. You know, you just have to know what you're going to like. And so I would say uh, before you head into the library, try to figure out how many books you want to get. Uh, if you know that your library allows you to have books for, like, nine weeks, which I think ours do. Nine? Yeah. Holy moly. Because it's, like, three weeks, and then you can renew it for, like, two more times after that. So nine uh -huh. weeks. So if you know how many books you are generally going generally gonna to read in two months, then I'd say look for that many. And uh, start with two from that genre of choice. Uh, and then when you are looking through there, I would say judge the book by its cover, judge the book by its spine, see if there are any words that pop out at you. Uh, today I found books uh, because I really enjoyed this one title that said uh, the glittering something, the glittering forest, I think, and the book cover was actually glittering. And then there was another one about an assassin's curse and that just had really pretty script. So I was like, I'll give it a try. And then uh, my second tip is to uh, find a stretch book, 
in a genre that's maybe your secondary choice or something that just stretches your reading capacities in some way. So, you know, if you've been if you've been staring at one bookshelf for five minutes, check out a bookshelf on the other side of the library and just like see something new, try something different. When you're reading the book synopsis, don't read it all the way through. I think book synopses are actually terrible, terrible things. And sometimes they give away too much oh, of the God. book, yeah. like movie trailers. Uh, sometimes they're very misleading and they don't actually give you the right tone. So if you want to read anything at all, then read the first page of the book itself and see if you enjoy that writing. Because typically the person who writes the synopsis is not the author. So well, and even as an author who has tried to write my own synopsis, like trying to push my book out to pub like, yeah. uh, publishers and agents and all that stuff, it's super hard. They're, they're, to write that back of the book blurb. Well, especially if you've written a, a good, tight story, it's often very, very, very hard to distill that down into a couple paragraphs. So synopses are hard uh, to write, and they just sometimes turn me off the book too much of what would otherwise be a really good book. So I would say if you want to get a sense of what this book is, maybe read like the first part of the synopsis or just let your yeah. eyes skim over it. See what kind of words pop out. You can learn a lot from a book just by seeing that there is something about a girl, a prince, floating islands. You know, that's that already gives you like a really good sense of what might what this book might contain and you don't have to like know the nitty gritty of like oh and then there was this mom and then the mom died and then the brother died too and then blah 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 blah. I don't know why I just went there with that, but that's how a lot of uh Yeah, that got dark. <laughs> let me let me think of a different one. Um there's there's a teddy bear and then the teddy bear uh Goes uh, to a picnic. Goes to a picnic, and uh, underneath the picnic blanket is a hole, and it falls in the hole and finds itself in another world, a la Wonderland. Oh, nice. You know what? I don't think I've ever seen an isekai or, like, another world story that has a non-human protagonist. So now I kind of want that. <laughs> well, maybe that was a pretty good synopsis. I, I don't know if I would ever write that book. I would read it, though. Yeah, well, maybe that can be, uh, that's free to take. Feel free to write that book. Absolutely. Feel free to write. Feel free to write a thousand versions of that book. <laughs> uh, you yeah. should. You should have your own show about books and whatnot. I would love that. Huh. I have a lot to say about books. A lot huh. of opinions. Fancy that idea. Yeah. But before all that, you are here on my show. I am. To talk about specialization, and I guess. I'll start by kind of dipping into what I mean when I say that. So specialization when it comes to role-playing has, as far as I kind of nailed down, about three different ways that it works. There is the player's specialization of their character, where it's like, I am the rogue, so I'm going to mo mostly focus on like sneak attacks and picking locks and having a bunch of skills. Or like, I'm the barbarian, so I'm going to soak up all of the damage and hit things really hard. Mm -hmm. Then there is the specialization as far as the setting goes, where it's like, hey, we've walked into this town, and this is where a whole bunch of, like, dwarven miners live, and they're doing their thing, and there's not really a whole lot else in this town, or this is the floating pleasure city up on a <laughs> cloud, where it's all like... Red lotus leaves and gambling houses and all that fun jazz. And the third, which is like the things that we face that are highly specialized. Mm. So be that like, here's the ice monster that you need a fire spell to beat because otherwise it's just going to reform itself around you. Or like the vampire who has a very specific weakness, all of that sort of stuff. 
those are the ways that I personally identified specialization showing up. So which one would you like to hit first? Let's go in order. Let's do a character specialization. Excellent. So when we play games with class-based systems, it becomes very easy to specialize because everybody basically has their thing that they're supposed to be good at. Yeah. Like, you're not going to expect a paladin to run around throwing fireballs in the same way that you're not going to expect a sorcerer to be a frontline fighter. Right. But within that, and even outside of that, when you don't necessarily have classes, specialization can really do a lot of different things for the group that you're playing with. And... I think most of that has to do with giving everybody a role to play. Yeah. Where that really becomes important is less in combat. So I feel like specializing in combat is the easiest thing to do. I would agree. But finding ways to specialize in the role-playing itself so you don't have one person who's like, ah, yes, I'm just the social guy, I'm good in every situation, can present more of a challenge. It can. And I find that, you know, D&D in particular is guiding everyone towards specialization. Like, that is the goal, Mm -hmm. is specialization. And because if you try to take on too much... You know, it's it's tougher uh, in battle, but also outside of battle, because then you're not really great at anything. Right. And that's where the balance of having different specialization in your party comes in. And so my experience with specialization is usually, here we are playing this game, we have a new player coming in who's never played D&D before, who should they be? And then you take a look at the party and you say, okay, well, we already have a bard, and we've got a rogue, and we've got a barbarian, but uh, we don't really have a healer, so why don't they be a healer? Or something like that. And that's, we usually do gauge specialization based on the battles because the battles are a pretty major part of D&D. Yes. And so I think this topic that you're trying to get on about specialization outside of battle is just something that not a lot of people have thought about. Which is why it's really interesting to me because it's, I mean, I think I basically said this just a minute ago, but it, it is very easy to fall back on your class. It as is. As your specialization. It is. But... Characters need to be, well, I guess not need to be, depending on the kind of game that you're playing. Mm -hmm. It helps if your character has something more about them. Definitely. So, like, uh, in one of the Monday Night games that I play, I've mentioned these before, uh, my character Rion the Paladin grew up in the River Kingdoms. So she grew up around boats and pirates and all of that fun stuff. So outside of just being like, I'm a beacon of hope and I'm going to hit things really hard with my shield and have really strong armor and I'll stand in front of the bad guys. (laughs) She's also the only person in the group who actually knows how to sail. (laughs) And we've been doing a pretty significant amount of that over the last year of play. Very nice. And I feel like having something like that, having a quirk or a niche that your character can fill gives you more opportunities to be not only useful to the party but satisfied as a player yeah yeah the more unique of a play experience that you have every session 
the better time you have, I find. Mm-hmm. And there's this there's this really interesting system. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called Torchbearer. I have not. I'm uh, fascinated. Yes, there's a system called Torchbearer that I've been lucky enough to play with some of the creators. And it's really fascinating that they have this system called the WISE system, where you have... Now, was that Y system or WISE? WISE system. Gotcha. So you are WISE in some manner that's different from the skills that you train up as your class. Okay. It's something that you know because of who you are and you get to make that up they don't have any guidance really like you make it up Hmm. so i played i think i played a dwarven rogue and so i gave myself stone wise where i just knew a lot about stones cool and there was this uh you could do other things like you could be garden wise and just know a lot about gardening you could be river wise and just know a lot of stuff about the rivers and like these kind of things, like, I don't know. And basically anything. You could be time-wise, gold-wise, dog-wise. <laughs> Somehow I knew we would hit that at exactly the same time. And it makes me so happy. <laughs> we have dogs in our hearts. <laughs> but you can, when you have a wise, it's it's more than just a skill or a talent. It's like an inherent knowing that is essentially you. Like, so, so take my stone-wise. Mm-hmm. I was a dwarf. I grew up underground. And you have to like have very specific and strong reasons why this wise is something that you can claim as a wise. Okay. So I was stone wise. So not only did I know a lot of stones just by recognizing them from living underground, you know, uh, all my life now that I've emerged and I'm above ground, I still recognize some of these stones. Or if I don't actually know them, I can... can deduce like where they've come from or how old they could be. Yeah, like you look at the striations in the women, they're like, oh no, this is a sedent- sediment- sedimentary? Yeah, it's like sedimentary rock, but because you can see that these these layers are much thinner than the other ones, this was a very, very hard time and there was a lot of pressure on top of them. So like you, you just know, and like this came from this valley because I know that this happened on the earth there. And and like that's some, like something you can bring, but you also know, like I, I knew how many t- like hits of my pickaxe it would take to like cut through some of these rocks oh nice and so like when we were tunneling because we ended up tunneling a lot and i think that was because and we'll, we'll get to this but the dm knew the specialization of our characters and tailored mm-hmm. stories to fit that but because of that we were in tunnels a lot and i was always say like stone wise i know that we can like make our own like escape into this next tunnel by going through this fissure in the rock because I can widen it because I know Excellent. my tools are stronger and can like do it in just a couple of hours. That's very cool. And so that's that's how you can like use you can like make specializations for yourself that's outside of your class, outside of your race, but co- somehow embraces both of them. Yeah. And is also something more and it takes your backstory and like really makes that an integral part of your game st- style. Well, I will say in terms of I mean, going back to my Monday Night Games, our dwarven cleric, Dugan, is a brewer. Like, that's his other thing that he does. Hmm. And the number of problems that we have solved by getting everybody drunk and doing whatever we want (laughs) is staggering. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is to do with, like, having a good GM who is willing to not necessarily bend the rules around the way that your characters operate, but who is willing to take into account the things outside of the strict mechanics that you are good at. 
Yeah. And like a lot of systems have mechanical bonuses in there that will allow you like D&D 3.5 or Pathfinder has the knowledge and the profession or skills where basically you can write in whatever is appropriate. Mm -hmm. Or World of Darkness has specialties where mm -hmm. you can write in like, hey, I have three points in firearms, but I'm actually really good with revolvers. So like I get an extra die when I roll on that. Yeah. And, you know, Torchbearer has your wise where that's just your thing that I guess you can play whenever it's appropriate. Yeah, it's I like to view specializations like that and and any kind of character skill or backstory thing as a kind of skeleton key for whatever problem you're trying to face. Yes. That is fantastic. Because there are a lot of ways, like you said, that getting people drunk can solve your problems. And sometimes that's straightforward. Sometimes you have to kind of swerve around the problem a bit until you can actually find <laughs> yeah, <laughs> find how that works. But it, it can be used as a skeleton key where your specific skill or wise or specialization is helpful in this particular situation. I would encourage players, as you are creating a character... To find something in your backstory that grips you, that isn't necessarily related to whatever you thought you were supposed to be. And mm. I feel like this can go into any system, any setting, because regardless of what race or class you are playing, you are playing a person. Mm -hmm. And if you are a software engineer from Duluth... You're not just that. Right. Like, you have hobbies and skills and interests and things that you have done. Maybe your character, who is this software engineer, doesn't actually like the thing that they're really good at. But maybe they have a particular skill at, like, you know, their father pushed them into playing Little League Baseball for mm. their entire childhood, and they had a high talent for pitching, but they hate the game. Yeah. So it's like, you can throw things real darn good because the muscle memory is still there. Yeah. But all you really wanted to do was sit at your computer and, you know, work with Unix. <laughs> yeah. I think that's great. And, like, just taking that into account, you know, if you're ever even having trouble with your character and trying to think of things, just look around you. Look around you. Look around you. <laughs> what do you see? Did you ever see that show? I love that show. It's so good. It's great. Highly, highly encourage everyone to check that out. But seriously, like, if you're trying to find, like, this quirk of your character, and uh, we'll take my dwarf. Yes. This stone-wise dwarf. And, uh, you know, just realize that this dwarf actually, uh, when emerging from the underground, really, really likes flowers. Finds yeah. that they're very, very pretty and then just really likes flowers. And so picks every single flower that, you know, he sees and then just learns things about them. Goes out of his way to, like, learn botany. And so here you have this dwarf who's, like, only seen mushrooms and fungus up until now. All of a sudden knowing all about all of these flowers. Yes. Now, I will say, character specializations like this don't have to be skills. They can also be quirks or whatever you True. want them to be. True. Case in point... You played a character in one of my recurring games who was a rogue, an elven rogue, I believe. Yep. Didn't really have anything 
like crazy unique about her except she was obsessed with finding her like love at first sight oh yeah person oh yeah love at first sight so every opportunity <laughs> you would ask am i getting a vibe or basically like am is it I, love at first sight is, is it, it love at first sight yes <laughs> every character i remember there was a talk with a talking dog um, it was love at first sight, but a different kind of love. It was very platonic. Um, there, there was the love at first sight with uh, this vampire demon person. I think yeah. it wasn't actually. I just wanted to know some bandits. I wondered if I, if I, you know, had any qualms about hurting the bandits because of how attracted I felt towards them. I remember there was this old mayor who ended up being a villain, and uh, definitely there were some vibes there. But uh, he was the the big boss so yeah not much i could do about that one we had a good time in the two seconds that i laid eyes on him man that one still <laughs> messes me up and i'm about to go on a little dm tangent right here because you guys were not supposed to fight that dude that night you were supposed to discover that he was shady and then the next campaign was also supposed to still happen in that town and then at the end of that you might fight him we just jumped the gun. But no, you were just like, oh, you're the villain? Murder time. And I'm like, all right, I know there are six of you, but this dude is like level 15 and you're level five. And somehow you beat the numbers game and killed him. He was also 80. Yeah, no, there was that. <laughs> I, I did give him a sort of, sort of frail constitution because of his advanced age, but still. He was tough. Yeah, he we, almost... we were just really jumpy. We wanted to fight everything. That That's was true. That was a very uh, pro-violence group. I think that was due to one of the other characters' specialization, which was just starting a fight with literally everyone. Yep, yep. <laughs> which is also a very good quirk. Yeah, that can be your thing. Just like the thing of, my brother does this, always walking ahead even though he doesn't know where he's going. That could be your thing. Oh, good lord, yeah. Think of all the traps you'd fall in as a character. That's great. Great story fodder there. That really is. As long as you don't mind the possibility of your character, like, I mean, trust your GM not to do this because they're the worst, but like a bottomless pit trap where, oh, oh no, you fell in and you failed your deck save. Your character is dead now. Well, if it's bottomless, they're still alive. They just keep falling. Your character is out of the campaign now. <laughs> Unless somebody's got like a bottomless bungee cord. Oh, that'd be nice. Bottomless lasso. Nah, it's got to be bungee so you can bounce back up. Like somebody lap, like tucks themselves in and then jumps down after you and you get this oh, whole dramatic yeah. moment of like, I've got you, put your arms out and slow your fall. And they're like, I can't, I'm too scared. And then you like dive bomb <laughs> down and you grab them and then you bounce back up because it's a magical bungee cord that knows exactly when to bounce. Yeah, I like that. It'd have to be tied to something though. That's when the rest of your party is at the top, just holding on to it. Oh, I see. And that's when the rest of your party falls in. And then you suddenly fall into Wonderland. And we're back. Hey! <laughs> but that so, is, it's a good point. Uh, your GM should know what your character specializations are. And how to adapt around it. Yes. Because there is nothing worse than creating a character around, like, this is my thing. This is what interests me about this person that I have made. And your GM's like... Cool. My story is actually about tax evasion, so all y'all are just losers. <laughs> that would be fun, though, if everyone is playing as a fantasy character. I 
honestly think you could make a really interesting campaign around the idea of like, hey, tax fraud, what you gonna do? I have no idea what the meat of the campaign would be. I don't what, know. But, like, but hey, that could be a World of Darkness campaign. That really could. Like, track down some monster's finances and be like, all right, this is how we're gonna get the 700-year-old vampire. It's always vampires. I was gonna say, it's always vampires. <laughs> yeah. Vampires are the easiest ones to get on tax fraud. I know, because they just live so long. Exactly. Yeah, but if you if you as a GM know what interests your characters and you're willing, like even if you have like a really solid core of story, you can tailor some of the smaller encounters or some of the town events or even some of the, the way that the bosses or the other enemies fight to kind of go through that. Mm -hmm. But aside from even battle, because we were talking about non-battle specialization. Yes. Then what are some what are some events that could happen like in a town where a character's specialization would really come into play? So say you've got a character who just looking around and seeing what I've got. Uh, I, they're like, there's a poster on my wall. It's a nice little river scene. So let's say you've got a character who just really enjoys fishing, and it. that's their thing. Love it. All right, here's a little side quest. Uh, some woman comes up to you and says that she lost her ring while she was out doing the washing, and uh, a large mythical fish swallowed it. Oh. And now it's like, all right, we gotta catch this fish. And so your fisher character goes out, and you cast and, like, roll whatever you need to, or play the narrative however you need to, but, like, now they're using their specialty. And if you play your cards right... Mythical fish is actually like funky water demon thing. They mm. pull it out. Now you got a mini boss. Booyah. Woo. Or maybe it's something like one of those frogs where it grants you wishes. Yes. If you don't want to fight. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Wish frog. Wish frog. <laughs> I am into that in a way that I did not realize I would ever be into a frog. Another thing, too, is I, I know for my characters, I just really like playing klepto characters because I always uh, like to play yeah. the rogue. And uh, I know I know I've gotten on uh, your impatient side sometimes because I keep saying, oh, and I want to just look around and see what I can take from here. Well, as, <laughs> as a GM, it makes me have to think on my feet a lot more than I was planning to because I can come up with characters like that. But coming up with interesting items... To give my players as like, oh, all right, you're, you're looking around and making a concerted effort to find something cool. Uh, okay, I'm going to roll a d10 and anything over a six, you're going to find something cool. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but you'll find something. Yeah. Because like, I, this is just me. I hate not rewarding my players for interacting with my world. Hmm. Yeah. So, like, if I have set something up, like, if you're going through the masked vigilante's warehouse and looking for neat stuff, like, yeah, obviously the masked vigilante is going to keep some neat stuff in their super secret warehouse. Why did I allow you to go in here and give you time to look around? I should have put it on, like, a self-destruct spell or something like that. But nope, I just gave you access to, like, not just a whole bunch of cash... But also, like, neat grappling hooks and enchanted nonsense. Yeah. Because why not? 
But also, like, if I'm just in the mayor's office, or I remember there was his deputies. We went, we went into, like, the sheriff's office. There was a deputy's desk, and I took something off of his desk. Oh, my God, you did. Um, he, I don't know. I don't remember what it is. But the thing is, like, when you're rewarding players for, you know, interacting with their with your world or playing their characters to the best of their ability by going above and beyond, mm-hmm. uh, I think some of the rewards don't necessarily have to have numbers attached to them. Right. And so, like, giving them something, like, uh, you, you find a really cool pen... It writes really well. Like, that's yeah. awesome. And that's something I can cherish because I'm like, I've got this really cool pen. So now when we have to sign this contract saying it won't evade taxes again, I can... <laughs> <laughs> my signature comes out looking smoother than everyone else's. Like, <laughs> and that's already super rewarding as a player. Yeah. It's like a little Easter egg that I get to like pull out whenever I want to like make the DM crack up. <laughs> yeah. It's like, here's my special thing. Remember this? And then everybody goes, ah, you and your special thing. <laughs> but that also encourages everyone else to have a special thing too. And yes. that just like cycles back around on that reward system circle thing. Exactly. I will also say if you don't immediately think of something that's like your thing at character creation, the magic of storytelling is such that we can kind of just pull things out of our butts whenever it's appropriate. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Oh, my character, um, I really just built, like, a combat monster, but now Amy's over here having fun klepto first love it sight, <laughs> love it for sight adventures, and I want a cool thing too, so my, my character, um, invented email. Yes! Ethereal mail! It's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Use it. It's great. Uh. Okay. So outside of characters. Yes. We've got, like... 10 to 15 minutes left to talk about the rest of the topic. So let's jump into setting. Setting. Specialization in setting. This can go so many ways because it means a lot of different things. Whether you have the nation that is built around, like, worshipping this one particular volcano Hmm. that erupts every hundred years like clockwork... And blankets everything with ash. So, like, there's always one bad year, but the 99 years following that up until it erupts again, you've got this wonderful, rich soil that everything grows lustrously Mm, out of. I love that. Or you go into, all right, this is the fishing village where everyone fishes. And that's, that's this place's quirk. Yeah. Like, it can be at such wildly different levels and it is only limited by how much thought you want to put into it as you're creating these places yeah you could even go so far and i know we've talked about this on other podcasts but take a look uh in history and see like Mm -hmm. you know there's a reason that there are districts and cities Absolutely. Districts were all couched around specific things. Like there's the garment district and the meatpacking district in New York City, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's because one of them really specialized in clothing and garments and making things. And then the other one was on meatpacking. Yeah. That's just what they did. Well, and like even outside of a modern city like New York, look at uh, like Renaissance Venice, Hmm. which was a city built entirely around mercantilism. And it's literally just, hey, we built our city on the water 
We've got big walls on the land, so no one can attack us. Mm -hmm. And we have better ships than literally anyone else kind of ever at this point in history. Yeah. And all we really care about is taking the goods from one place, getting them through our city, and getting them to a different place. Mm -hmm. So you can take a simple concept and spin it out into a location that is rich and provides this beautiful tapestry for your players to run around in. Yeah, you could make an entire city based off of tapestries. You could. You absolutely <laughs> could. Like a city full of weavers. You know, I'm, I'm going to take a, a page out of the movie Wanted's book and say... Maybe there's a loom of fate situation and your yes. weaving city has this special group of weavers that use their loom to predict the future. Or you could do something really simple and say they need their sheep to do it, but something is eating their sheep. Yeah. Oh, it's a dragon. Can you stop it? Exactly. Because <laughs> how can we make our beautiful merino wool if there is a dragon eating all of our beautiful merino sheep? Exactly. And then you get to take a spin on that wheel of fate. Exactly. <laughs> no, it's it's so easy to find just like one quirk that you can focus on. Because let's face it, our players are never going to see enough of any setting to be mm -hmm. like, ah, oh, yes, I understand this entire location. <laughs> so giving each place a specialty or a quirk makes it more digestible. Definitely. More memorable, too. Because mm -hmm. they'll, even if they don't remember the name, they'll be like, oh, but let's go back to that weaving town. Because, like, they have the best clothes that actually work as suits of armor. Yes. Like, your wizard is going to want to go back there and get the robe that can be enchanted. Because, like, the wool that it was woven from already provides a plus one armor bonus. Because it's masterwork. Why not? Or because the sheep is a master of ma magic. The sheep itself is magic, and as well as magic too, and you can make magic robes out of magic sheep wool. See, the first thing that I thought was you've got alchemists messing with the wool and making steel sheep. <laughs> so everything is made out of steel wool. Yes, steel wool! That's the best! <laughs> I am definitely going to have to steal that and use it in my own games. You're going to have to steal it? Oh! oh. <laughs> but you know, it's cool because if you have this whole, like, this whole pasture of steel sheep, then you could have a steel refactory across the river. Yeah. And then here you have two specialized villages really close to each other. One side makes steel armor, the other side makes steel weapons, I guess. I mean, or something. Why not? Like, Can you imagine a steel wool sword? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, it would be so scratchy. It would be. <laughs> like, somebody hits you with it, and you don't take any, like, slashing damage, but now you're taking a completely new type of damage, which oh. is just scratchy damage. Oh, no, it's like paper cut damage. Oh. That's the worst damage. Oh, no. Oh. My my whole body just hurts thinking about that. <laughs> no. But there's an idea. That, yeah. <laughs> that's something very different. But that's a way that you can, like, take one kernel of an idea and just expand it out into an entire country. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, in, in favor of time, I'm going to say that we go ahead and jump on to specialized 
Let's just say antagonists. Let's do it. Because I really like the idea of, you know, everybody, not everybody, but if you have been around specifically Dungeons and Dragons long enough, you're familiar with certain monsters like a lich, Mm -hmm. like an undead wizard who wants to do evil things, most likely, or something like a goblin, which is just like a little plucky fighter monster guy. And those are kind of jack of all trades. Yeah. Like a lich is probably not going to go in or go against you with a sword fight, but they'll probably have a couple of like minion zombie skeleton whatever's that do. Yeah. A goblin is probably not going to throw a high level spell at you, but you know, there are like eight of them and they have bows and arrows and spears and stuff. Thumbs are dangerous. Thumbs, man. Can't underestimate them. <laughs> but There are so many super specific weird enemies. Like, thumb through the monster manual or hop onto a wiki at some point and just pick a monster at random. Hmm. And there is a solid chance that you will never use it in a normal campaign unless you want to get weird and specific. Hmm. And I think weird and specific is a recipe for memorable. Yeah. You have to pull it off right, because it's not always fun. Mm. I I once um, set up a quest where my players were supposed to get these, like, water-breathing potions, and then they were going to go down into the river next to the city and fight a bunch of, um, not merfolk, but something like merfolk. I don't remember exactly what the race was called. Uh, and pretty much, like, do that in order to plunder this, uh, like, transport ship that had wrecked with this merchant's gold. And he was like, I just want my gold back and anything else down there is all yours. Uh, My players never ended up going there. Yeah. Because they couldn't find, and I couldn't properly guide them to the potions that would allow them to fight underwater. So I've got this entire encounter that's like, here's my weird, quirky, special thing that no one ever saw. (sighs) Hmm. Because I I made it a little too quirky. Like, I didn't take into account the fact that none of the characters involved could naturally handle themselves underwater. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, it was none of their instinct to even consider that. Yeah. They were just like, oh, okay, how are we going to figure this out? Let's just not. Let's go do a different thing. So, like, my entire quest line just sat abandoned. Which is disappointing, but it was also a huge learning experience. Hmm. Because you have to specialize in such a way that you're still allowing your players to work within that realm. Yeah. I think this happens a lot when you're dealing with elemental types. Makes sense. Because, like, if you're going up against a fire thing and all of your players are tree people. Oof. Yeah, they're not going to want to deal with that. No, they're going to want to run away. That's your direct opposite. But on the other hand, if you've got an ice thing and, like, yeah, here are my characters. A red dragonborn who breathes fire and a yeti man who is impervious to cold. Mm. It's like... 
oh, yeah, no, that's what they're here for. Yeah. And I feel like as a GM, we can tailor our opportunities for the players to run up, run into these monsters and whatnot. Yeah. I want to say carefully. It's really tempting to try and create these encounters before you get into the game. Yeah. But that's an instinct that I think needs to be shied away from. At least if you want to get things specific and weird. Start general. Start general, because you can always specify from there. Especially, like, if you... So this is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. If you just had your players visit this steel wool town, and they got steel wool swords, and then next you have them delving into the steel mines that somehow... I have a small child who lives above me, and she <laughs> likes to run around in big stompy runs, and apparently slam doors. Uh, but if you have, uh, I don't know, some, some mines or dungeons nearby that you wanted them to go down into anyways, and then you know you want some monster in there, but you haven't quite decided it yet, well, maybe after seeing those steel wool swords, you realize you want them to fight jellies, because I'm imagining steel wool would cut through jelly pretty well. Oh my god, it would. And so therefore, here you have this unique monster to this, like, tailored to this specifically unique weapon that they've gotten from this really specified village. And it's very memorable because maybe yes. maybe these swords were more, like, sold at a gift shop and, like, no one expected to ever get use out of them. And yet, oh, wait, we actually can. And we only get one, basically, use out of this because we're never going to encounter jellies again. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's a fun, specific and quirky quest you can give to your players. Well, and it's a very, like, old-school platformer game way of looking at things. Hmm. So, like, you look at Mega Man or Metroid or Legend of Zelda, where you'll get these weird items. And it's like, when am I going to use <laughs> these iron boots? Oh, they're the thing that let me, like, actually walk underwater so that I can get to the stuff on the bottom of the pool. Neat. They're never useful again, but they're super useful for that one specific moment. And I feel like that's a side of game design that we should be encouraged to explore. Yes. It's also a lot of fun to not just throw those things, like, one after the other. Yeah, definitely. Because if your players get their steel wool swords, and then they don't run into the jellies for like seven sessions, you're definitely going to have the player or two who have forgotten that they picked those up in the first place and it's like sitting in a bag of holding somewhere <laughs> and then they swing their axe at the monster and it just slices right through and the thing splorches back together and they're like, what can we do? And then you've got that one player who takes really good notes and they look at their sheet and they're like, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> and that moment for both player and GM is so rewarding. And I think that's what it really comes down to with specialization. You're finding ways to reward lateral thinking. Yes. And yeah. at the end of the day, that's that's a big part of why we play these games. Yeah. We're solving problems that don't exist in our real world. And finding creative and fun ways to do that? Yeah. It's always worth it. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Yay for specificity. 
Specificity is never a bad thing. I'm sorry, I meant specialization. <laughs> yeah, so no, close. Same, same, same difference. <laughs> Let's be specific about our specialization. <laughs> specificity. I love that I've just same differenced the word specificity. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, Amy. Yes. Any final thoughts? I think specialization is great. It should be used like sprinkles on your game. Um, it makes things really fun and flavorful, but too much and it becomes kind of uh, samesies. Like... Mm. Like, yeah. you've just, we've been there already. Save the sprinkles for the special occasions. The special occasions. <laughs> special. Hey! <laughs> yeah, no, I can't agree more. I think you nailed it right at the end there with, like, don't try and make everything a unique and memorable experience because you can't. If everything is unique, then nothing is. Exactly. What was that? What was that line that Syndrome said in the first Incredibles? Oh gosh! Because when everyone's super, no one is. I think this. I think that might be it. Something it's been like so that. So long. That's a good movie. It's a really good movie. <laughs> Anything you want to plug before we go? I play video games on Twitch. You can check me out at Jess Spellior, and I've had Jess join me recently for some really fun times as yes. we play Undertale and Stardew Valley. So there's going to be more of that to come. Absolutely. And if you want to reach out to us and share moments where you have had fun stories of specialization or you've got cool ideas that you want to hear us talk about, you can send us an email at dodecapodcast at gmail.com. You can send us questions or comments or concerns or pretty much anything you want within reason. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter. Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook. The last three, that's Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, are all... Podcast. Heck yeah! So once again, that is Podcast on Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, and on Twitter, the weird one, it's at Podcast Dodeca. So, I think that's about all we have to say. From all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you on our next adventure. Squeaky chair, squeaky chair. <laughs>